That was the Kenton Crows with Rain King on freshair.org.uk. That's a uh, paper you can hear turning is the person to my right was our first guest. But we'll start with uh, somebody who's becoming a bit of a piece of the furniture in the Fresh Air studio in the, mor- in the Tuesday morning. Uh, we're joined again after last week's blockbuster show by Alex Paul. Hi everyone, thanks Callum for that sterling introduction. Just to give him his introduction again, he is a Liberal Democrat and head of the Yes to Fair Revoke Society. I do other things as well. He, he does, kind of, but mostly politics. Uh, to his right we have, our, well you see the thing is, we couldn't get a really special guest this week, so we've kind of gone for two semi-special guests, is that okay? Thanks, uh, yeah, fine. yeah, really appreciate that man. So we have current you're not USA quite Liam Acad- Burns. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not. Uh, we have current USA Academic Services Convener and candidate for Vice President Academic Affairs, Andrew Bernie. Hello. Is this uh, your first time on Fresh Air? Or yes, you? first time ever. First time ever. You see, that's funny. Mm. We've done that. We did that last week as well with Liam. It was his first time. It was Aww. Fred McIntosh's first time in thirteen years. But <laughs> that pretty much counts the first time. And to my right, our other semi-special guest is uh, James Reiki. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm not too bad, James. Thanks for asking. James is the Conservative candidate for Dunfermline and doesn't like AV, so this could get interesting. <laughs> but we're going to leave AV for the moment, we'll come to that next, but we're going to start with, generally we keep the soapbox to domestic issues, but this morning we're going to talk about Libya, because it's a big issue at the moment, it's a hot button issue, and uh, it does have repercussions at a Scottish and domestic level. So let's let's start with Alex, what, what were your thoughts on, on all of this? Uh, pretty shocking really, I mean, you, you know, it's just watching the news and Especially Al Jazeera. I don't think anyone else has been watching Al Jazeera, but they've got some really good coverage out there. Just you know, the footage from from Libya's, you know, and there's the fact there's no journalists can get in, and and we're just having to rely on sort of word of mouth reports, and it all seems to be a very scary situation on the ground. I mean, you know, bombing your own people to prevent them from rioting, or not even rioting, but protesting against you seems to be extreme. You know, it's, it's, it seems to be a step up from what we've seen in Egypt and Bahrain and Tunisia, where there were riots, but they, you know, the leaders seem to recognise that you're not going to fight against the people for too long. So this surely really can't come as a surprise, though, because we've all known Gaddafi was a bit... A nut. A bit, a bit, a bit of a screw loose. Yeah. Um, um, did it, yeah. Did anyone I mean, see last night's television appearance? Yep, it was raining. I heard that. I don't know if it was actually raining or he was just carrying an umbrella like Steve McLaren. <laughs> I did, I did <laughs> hear something it was the Steve McLaren yeah. of international <laughs> politics. Yeah. Yeah. But Steve uh, McLaren has been sacked as well, so perhaps that's an omen. We'll save that for four o'clock. <laughs> Are you suggesting Steve McLaren's in Venezuela? Is that the implication here? I think he'd go anywhere to get a job. But this isn't Fair a enough. sports show. <laughs> We're talking about serious Sorry, issues Callum. of people dying. Let's, let's go to James for a bit of sanity on this. <coughs> uh, actually, I, I found it quite interesting. I mean, his son, I think yesterday, I don't have the exact quote, but he said that well, the British, fo- the British Foreign Minister, William Hague, was planning it. Was it a Western invasion? Of uh, of Libya, and you know it just sort of shows people who are so desperate to cling to power, even though you know the vast majority of the population want them gone. And I I did, I did saw I did see the the news you were you, know, you were talking about, and I saw the video of the protest where a, a lot of people were well rumored to be killed really, mm. and I just thought it was just pretty shocking. But I, I also note that um, William Hague met with the Libyan foreign minister yesterday. And obviously you don't know what they talk about, but I assume that he was sort of pressing for a, a peaceful solution to the whole debacle. I mean, I, I saw the footage from, from London of the protesters breaking into the Libyan embassy and raising the, the flag of the old monarchy. Which, what was interesting about that is they, found they managed to do that relatively easily. Mm. And it seems to be <coughs> that Gaddafi has lost the confidence of his government and his, his, his Libyan foreign ministers. There was one on... 
BBC America, who was the, the former Libyan ambassador to America, who says, I'm no longer a member of Gaddafi's government, I'm there yeah. with the people. And he was on, he literally resigned live on BBC. It's, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. The point where you lose your diplomats in other countries, I think, is the point where you really have to give up. Because they normally stand by a regime. They have no reason to. They're not under any threat from the people in the country. They don't feel threatened by the protest. If they're gone as well, they've gone for moral reasons and ethical reasons. That's the only reason that they would go. Um, yeah. You're right. I suppose that they're not actually in any immediate danger if they're if they're placed in foreign countries. So I suppose, in a way, you're right. If that that's maybe an indicator of of how much he has lost the confidence of his government, Alex. Yeah. No, I'd echo that. I thought. I mean, I thought the fact that the UN ambassador, the Arab League ambassador, have all resigned and said we're not with Gaddafi anymore is telling. And the fact that you know, I mean, Mubarak seemed to give concessions and stuff, and he seemed to understand, well, not understand, but seemed to at least appreciate that there was some, his people were vaguely concerned, whereas Gaddafi seems to just be ignoring it, and I think this is going to be, it'll be a, you know, I think it could be a bloodbath, but I think it's gone too far now, and and I mean, and the tribes have turned against him, and I, I, I don't think he's going to last. But so I think are, he's going to cling on desperately. What are the the repercussions of this for the for the UK? Do we do we think do we think it has to be? I mean, obviously, Libya were frozen out of the international community until Tony Blair welcomed them back in. Do we think that that's now a mistake? Something Labour should feel ashamed about, or was it? You know, was it admirable at the time to try and bring a country like that back into the international normality? I, I think. Probably, uh, and but I also think that you know there are, there are a lot. I mean, I'm the kind of guy I watched Sky News yesterday, and I, there was a guy. Sky News. Yes, oh, a gentleman, God. a gentleman who, a gentleman who made. A, there was a gen- They had a gentleman on who made. I can't forget his name, but he made a very good point, and that was you know there's a lot of really good British aid projects going on in Libya. Um, I think I believe they're they're actually contributing to construction of university hospitals, um, and whilst you know I I'd also note that BP has stopped any sort of trade in Libya as well. But I hope that these projects still go ahead, and I'm sure they will do. But yeah, I think it's probably time. I mean, to give, to give, you know, we can criticise Tony Blair for a lot of things, and people do, but I don't think, I think when you've got people like this, you've got to get them into the international community, because that's the only way, you know, it's all very well making them pariah states, but look what happens, North Korea just goes and builds atomic bombs if you do yeah. that. So I mean, I think it's yeah. important to have them, I'd rather have them, you know, inside the tent rather than outside, I won't say the rest of that yeah. metaphor. And- sanctions as well, they don't hurt the government. If you look at Colonel Gaddafi, his lifestyle was not affected by any of the sanctions on Libya. The people that are affected are the people at the bottom who had no money, who couldn't afford the food at the inflated prices you get once you've got the sanctions stopping aid coming in. It's, yeah, always people that suffer. Yeah, that's true. I suppose Gaddafi has so much money stashed away that he can not be touched by any sort of international sanction, I think. I mean, obviously there are repercussions for Scotland as well, that um, slightly closer links with Libya than we would have liked with Al-Magrahi. Um, does that? I, I, I don't know. I, there, there was some revelations about Almagrahi earlier. Obviously, Almagrahi's still alive, and uh, the Scottish government seems to be taking a little bit more criticism about that. And um, Andrew and I were talk- just talking about this yesterday. Actually, we were talking about um, how Labour were saying that they, you know, it was a last-minute decision. They never wanted to do it, but they But it came out that they'd been planning it for years, and the mm. SNP said it was a last-minute decision they had to make. That, but it turns out that but they have been planning it for for months. Nobody wants to take credit for. having the compassion to release someone on humanitarian grounds. Yeah, and for me, if it was a humanitarian decision, I support it fully, because I think, actually, we had the word of a doctor. Doctors are supposed to be above politics, above everything else, completely trustworthy, and able to say, this person is going to die within three months with a good probability. The fact that he's not, I think, actually, people are going, he's not dead yet. That actually, that upsets me a bit, because actually saying he's not dead yet, he should be dead, is... (laughs) 
a little bit distasteful. I think we had the word of a doctor. If that doctor was pressured in any way by the SNP to come out and say he was going to die soon so they could get him released on compassionate grounds, that would be very different. But until we have evidence of that, I think I fully support his release so long as it was on humanitarian grounds. Anyone else got any opinions? I just I don't think it was Labour's finest hour, but I mean, towards you could argue that by this point, like any government that's been in power for a while, they start to lose it. Um, I think. I mean, I think that the fact that Jack Straw said the fact that they've all been saying one thing in public and it now turns out another thing in private is pretty shocking and yeah. is more a malaise of our political system as it was than perhaps just Labour's fault. You know, I mean, don't tell me that the other parties would have been all righteous and thou about it. So. I'd say it's more a malaise of our politics system rather than a particularly Labour or SNP problem. Do you think the Conservatives would have released Almagrad? No, I mean, uh, the Conservative Party, I, I mean, I, I'd never oppose the release. I think... Well, every, every party opposed I, I don't know, every party, I think every party... Well, the SNP didn't oppose, I don't think, opposed well, no, the release. But I think, the, I think the Conservative Party were probably the, the loudest opponents of the, the release, certainly. I don't think the Labour Party... The Labour Party had the opportunity to make sure they were heard. Um, I really don't think Gordon Brown did that. I think he was quite definitely very poor at sort of getting that across that the Labour Party were against it. How is the Conservative Party? I and my, not I don't mean to be part of political here, but I do actually think that we were the the biggest opponents of his Surely it was right that Gordon Brown stayed out of it, though, given it was a Scottish decision. Surely. No, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about the Scottish Conservative Party. Sorry, I'm, I mean, we 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 opposed this release. I mean, our Justice Spokesman John Lamont opposed it. Um, we always the opposed the release. Yeah. Could you tell me the spokespeople for your party, Alex? Uh, Jeremy Purvis's finance or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah I couldn't <laughs> name the leader of the Lib Dems in Scotland, I have to say. Yeah. Apologies. Well, but then, but I realised this yesterday. 25% of Scottish people can't name the leader of the Labour Party either. Yeah, yeah so I saw that. That, it was, really that, was, that, was an, that was quite an interesting poll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know someone that works for him, which is why yeah. I can name Ian Gray successfully. That's, very quickly, yeah. uh, I wanted to go over uh, the, the Bahrain thing. Do we think it was right that the Bahrain Grand Prix was called off, given this sort of. Similar circumstances to Libya, civil unrest. Alex, you're a big Formula One I was, fan. I was actually impressed because it wasn't Bernie Eccleston who called off the Bahrain Grand Prix. It was the Crown Prince. So I was impressed by their... By, he seems to actually, unlike other Middle East dictators, Gaddafi, he seems to actually have a grasp of what's going on in his country and realise that there's some slightly more serious issues than just 20 cars driving around a track for two hours, which, not to, to you know, not Formula One because I love it, but... I was impressed by his grasp of what's actually going on in this country and his, he seems to understand the importance of it. Although there were rumours that the teams had said to Bernie Eccleston, either you cancel it or we're not going, but yeah, that's another matter entirely. There was talk of, uh, of boycott and that sort of thing. Does, well, Andrew, do you think it was right that they called off the Bahrain Grand Prix or do you think that perhaps going to Bahrain, holding the Grand Prix there, would have put the country under a bit more of a microscope and given a little bit more credence to the cause? To be honest, Grand Prix are so detached from anything in society in these countries. The people that go to them are the very well-off who almost certainly support the leadership because they've become well-off from that. I don't think it would actually make any difference. The TV coverage, the Formula One's very good at sanitising its TV coverage. I mean, they have the Grand Prix in China. Did that do anything for Chinese human rights? No. Someone else is going to jump in there. Sorry, James. Uh, well, I don't. Feel free to just jump in. Don't yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a huge. I've, I've, you know, I've never actually watched Grand Prix, but I think it was probably the right decision. I think. Yeah, you're right, and it does show that like, you know they, they recognise a problem. And it was the, the, the Bahrainis that yeah. recognised it. Yeah, yeah definitely. The, I mean, and you know, Formula One. Eccleston's shown before that he doesn't really. He's not bothered about country politics. Formula One's in South Africa for years during apartheid. So, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it's it's impressive who made the decision, I think, and that he has yeah, a, seems to have a grasp of what's going on in this country. Okay, well, yeah. we're going to go to a song now, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the EV referendum. I think that's going to be awfully fun. But uh, we're going to play a song now, and it's a song that I have gotten ridiculously familiar with yesterday. It's the song I used on my use election video. It's Bon Jovi and What Do You Got? That was Bon Jovi with What Do You Got? And it was uh, also a little bit of uh, the glitch there at the start of my accident. <laughs> that was a bit of a glitch. Ha! Operator See error. See what I did there. Um, yeah, that was last week's uh, Band of the Week. Accidentally getting another little cameo there. But uh, we'll maybe play that song later. Um, so now we're going to talk about the AV referendum. We were just having a, a quick discussion about it before the break. Before the break? During the break, rather. Um, it's our lady. Forgive me. Um... So we wanted to talk about this article that was this this story that came up over the weekend, uh, with David Cameron and Nick Clegg both making their their first real big public AV, speeches on EV, um, setting out their opposite positions, and uh, David Cameron making some rather bold claims. Uh, so is Nick Clegg as well. So uh, we'll come to to Alex first as the head of the. Edinburgh University, yes to fair vote society. Thanks, what did Alan. you what did you think of, of Nick Clegg's speech? Um I, I have to admit I have not read it in full. Uh, unfortunately essays That's for me. Es- essays to the <laughs> to the to priority. But um no, I mean I think I think it's a, he makes good points. I mean I think he deals with all the arguments against it. Unfortunately and he also he also confronts this issue of him calling it a miserable little compromise head-on and says that actually what he was described as a miserable little compromise was the Labour Party's very late offer to have an AV referendum in no doubt what he'd say was a desperate bid to win Lib Dem support for a coalition but that's another matter entirely um so I thought I thought he makes a good point I was disappointed to see Cameron bringing up the uh throwing a bit of mud and saying we might have used machines to count it when when we've all decided that we don't have to use machines to count it but so I was, you know, I'm disappointed to see that the prime ministers fall into this extremely partisan trap of aren't basically not well, not lying, but not exactly telling the truth. Aren't both sides at that though? Because you've got on one side the Tories doing their Usain Bolt analogy, which makes absolutely no sense with AV. Uh, is that if Usain Bolt wins the hundred meters in the Olympics and then we give the gold medal to the third place? No, Usain Bolt, but Bolt won by a clear majority. Like majority, he wins the race. You don't divide the time between yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And also, you probably then, win by more than 50. But then on the other but... side, you've got the Liberal Democrats claiming <coughs> that p- everyone who's elected by AV will be backed by 50% of their constituents. That's fundamentally not true. The majority of voters will not number right the way down the ballot. Therefore, the final vote will not come from every single ballot. Therefore, it will, it's 50% of the people who are still left in at the end. You yeah. could also argue that, I mean, no MP is going to be elected by 50% of the people anyway because there's not 100% turnout, which is well, so... But it's not even elected by 50% of the people who choose to actually vote. That's not what happens in AV. And I think actually both sides at the moment are being dishonest. And what I would really like to see from everyone this is an actual honest debate where we treat voters like intelligent people and trust them to make up their own mind on what's best for them rather than spinning them a line, trying to convince them of scare stories or fantastic things that just aren't true. Well, the No campaign have decided that they're going to go for the, uh, as I read, Mike Smithson, who does the quite good blog, politicalbetting.com. He's, uh, he described it as the thicko vote. 
Um, but their polling shown that, I mean, it's clear that they started off a couple of weeks ago with discussing very nuanced things about AV. And now if you've seen their latest adverts, it's, it, we can't afford this. We need hospitals, which is total rubbish. So it seems that the no to AV campaign have just sunk into a, sunk into a, let's just go for the lowest common denominator vote. Let's not, and they don't seem to be treating, and I'm not saying this is a, this is a justification for everyone treating the electorate like, um, children, but they seem to be treating the electorate like children, which I think is highly disappointing. And I, I would say I expect better, but to be honest, I don't. Let's let's get a bit of balance from from James. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, one of, one of the one of the claims by Nick Clegg was, I, I find the quote, it was, you know, that if you had AV, politicians would have to go beyond their core vote and convince other people. But anyone who who's you know is involved in Scottish politics knows that every other party bar Labour has to do that anyway to even get the chance of you know winning a seat. You have to go out and you have to get people who would never vote for you to even consider it. So I don't think A V will I don't think A V will fix that. I don't think A V will make politicians suddenly say, you know, I've got to get more second preference because we because ha- they have to do it anyway. But there's a difference between what has to happen now, which is you have to convince people to vote tactically. And I'm getting someone second. Well, you still do that. They still, you can still do that. Can just people like, tactically under EV. I mean, well, you, I mean, the Labour Party would like look at Labour Party in the last general election. Tried to say, you know, do anything to to keep the Tories out. I mean, that's just the exact same thing. If you had EV, people would just vote. You know. Yeah, but the doing. point is, the point is, the Tories might. So you've got you've got the the Labour running around saying, if you don't vote for us, Thatcher's going to be back, which is was their message in some sense. Yeah, but, yeah. but 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 you know, you can then. You can then work on them and say, well, I mean, admittedly, if you're a Tory and you're trying to convince a Labour supporter, you're probably not going to get much luck. But, I mean, you can, you well, know, without, you, but, you, but work, you could go yeah. for, you could go for, but the Tories can go for the Lib Dems and say, yeah, okay, so you might, you want to vote Lib Dem first choice, that's fine. But would you, you know, would you consider voting for us rather than, you know, if you're to the, if they're to the right of the Lib Dems, would you consider voting for us rather than, and so you could see almost, I mean, a, you could see a Tory win from, because, there's a lot of Lib Dems out there who think the Tories are better than Labour. Yeah. And it would stop, like, in all the party election campaign leaflets that I get around, it's always, this party can't win here, it's between well, us that's and the Liberal Democrats that put yeah. those kind yeah. of leaflets out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the famous bar chart. Yeah, yeah. And actually, with AV, you wouldn't have that anymore because, well, it might still only be between those two parties. If you number down the list, then you have, if they go out, the other party that you wanted more, say you vote Lib Dem and they're third, fourth, fifth, like, wherever they are in the mm-hmm. battle, you know then your vote would still pass on to somebody else. I and mean, actually, speaking of that, is another one of the lies that's about... I, I should really out myself as being pro-AV here. I think it would be... Since everyone else's position is known, I think that's only fair. Uh, one of the claims by the Conservatives is that people who vote Monster Raving Looney will have more votes. Fantastic. Using Monster Raving Looney to make it an extra scare story. Fantastic. But actually, they don't. Because in our, if I vote, say, Green, and the Greens are going to win in that seat, unlikely, I know, but then that vote for that Green Party counts once in every single round. I get one vote in every single round. Whereas if I vote once Raving Looney, then whoever else, my vote counts for them, then it counts for somebody else. I get the same number of votes as everyone else. I, one in I every like round. Joe, Swinson, Joe Swinson's analogy, which was on Newsnight last week, which was, it was a bit like, it's a bit like Strictly Condancing, where you get one vote one week, and if you always say everybody always votes for their, their favourite, if their favourite goes out, they then change their vote and go for their second preference. It is actually quite a good analogy. Yeah. That's uh, and I, I suppose that makes it a little bit easier to understand for people yeah. if, you, if you bring it in that sort of terms. I, mean, I have to say, I'm a little bit annoyed at the way both campaigns are running, and I mean, I'm am de- definitely pro AV, but, but uh, you know, I'd, I I I got an email from Sheila Gilmore, which I mentioned last week on the program, that I kind of agree with. That um, 
I think both campaigns exaggerate the impact of the change because the AV, the Yes AV group talk about how this is going to make politics fairer, make politicians have to work harder, but actually it will only make a difference in another 40 of the safe seats will not mm -hmm. be safe anymore. There will still be a huge amount of safe seats. It's but a start. Yeah, but, but, but the but point obviously is... Obviously the No TV campaign as well, saying that it's going to lead to perpetual coalition. Research has shown mm -hmm. that actually all the governments since Thatcher would still have been majoritarian governments. But the point is, I think this is what's also important. This is one of my big th reasons why I like AB <coughs> is because it, it does create the momentum for reform. I think we've all agreed, with the exception of the no to AV campaign, who you want, you know, you might question what what vested interests they have. We've all agreed that the current system doesn't work. I mean, the expenses scandal was just farcical and a disaster. Um, is, and is, is and, and really going to stop that? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the current system doesn't work. AV is not, you know, it's not the magic solution that will fix everything, but it is a step in the right direction. It is reform. It does create the momentum for reform, and it will mean, you know, if we vote no to AV, that's it. Forget electoral reform for the next, you know, it's been 80 years since we last discussed electoral reform. It'll be another 80 years. This, you know, if, but if we vote yes to AV, we create some momentum, and we had stand a greater chance of, you know, the people have said to the politicians, no, we don't like what you're doing and we're going to change it and there's more reform. And, you know, and if, and if, and if then in another 30 years time or 20 years time, someone pops up and suggests STV or another form of PR, you know, there's, there's the momentum for reform and people might think, oh yeah, well, AV seems to be an improvement, perhaps this may be an improvement, but I just think we need to create momentum for reform and if we vote no to AV, you've lost it. Okay. Well, that was a very, very interesting discussion, I think on all sides. It was quite balanced, actually, as well, I think. Um, we're, we're running out of time a bit because we've uh, had to start late as usual. So uh, we're going to go with this week's song of the week a little bit early because I want to get it in and uh, have enough time for some more discussion. Um, this week's song of the week comes from a band called Mac and Key, who, again, one of the, are friends of mine, but uh, there's actually a really interesting story behind this band. The, uh, the singer, Alice Watson, uh, who writes all the songs, performed a, a cover on YouTube of a, a 90s American punk band called Splashdown, who probably ne none of you have ever heard of. And uh, she gets a message from this guy saying, hey, it's uh, Adam, the singer from Splashdown, really liked your cover. Um, we should work together. And she thought, yeah, okay, he probably wants to work together over webcam. <laughs> but uh, Adam then sent her a video of himself saying, hello, Alice, it's Adam over in LA. And she was like, Holy crap, it's Adam from Splashdown. So uh, they've recorded this EP together on opposite sides of the Atlantic. They've actually only met each other uh, twice. Uh, for one weekend they met they, they met and recorded some vocals up in Sterling. But uh, apart from that, they've recorded everything on the opposite sides of the Atlantic. And this is a really, really great album. It's an EP called Ancient History. You can get it on iTunes and you can get the physical CD from CD Baby. But this song is called Together Now Very Minor. It's my favourite from the EP. And uh, we'll come back afterwards and see what the guys think. That was Together Now Very Minor by Map and Key from their EP Ancient History. Uh, very quickly going around the room, what did people think, Alex? Uh, good, it was a d different one from last week, but I liked it. It was beautiful, very good. Very good. Andrew? It moved me deeply. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be pleased. Um... That was lovely. Thank you. That that was very touching there. Okay, so we're going to go on to talk about um, yesterday's big news in student politics, 
which was despite Harry Cole having a copy of his re-election manifesto, uh, Aaron Porter is not seeking re-election as president of the NUS. Um, was anyone surprised by this? No. Um, no, as well. I mean, I think I think he's off to his safe Labour seat to be really to be yeah. really uh, yeah. to be really. Well, he, sa- he, says he's not. he says he's not. He says he's not. Well, Wes, yeah, well, I, I'm sorry. I'm deeply sceptical when it comes to the NUS. Um, but, I mean, I think I think he's been so damaged by... And to be serious now, I think he's been so damaged by, by having stuff thrown at him in Manchester and, you know... And I, I think... I do think the NUS... In they, kettled in Glasgow. They kettled in Glasgow. I think the NUS got it right at the start with the protest. The first protest was good, but after that they lost it. And, frankly... Violence is never the answer, and I'm totally against what happened in Westminster. But holding a candlelight vigil while other students riot in Westminster shows some sort of level of lack of, I think, lack of understanding with the mood of the student population. And I think that's where he lost it. And I think that was inevitable from then on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, I just echo, I say I'm quite skeptical of the NUS as well. Um, I think where are, I mean, at the time of the protest, remember it came out that he was in discussions with the coalition government about, you know, getting buses and things like that. And from a completely neutral point of view, I'd probably go out and say, well, you know, it shows that he was doing something. It might be a hypocrite because it wasn't what he was doing in public. And I think... I don't... I mean, I, I disagree with almost everything that Aaron Porter says, but at the same time, I do think that he was perhaps moderate, whether I don't think we'll ever have another moderate person who's ready to actually speak to the government ever again. Well, well, we'll come we'll come on to that in a minute. But I want to say as well that um, it came out over the weekend that Aaron po- that there'd been a a memo leaked by a a sabbatical officer at a university down south that showed that the NUS was actually saying to its members, to its executive committee and its sabbatical officers, actually, these reforms aren't aren't as uh, regressive as we're saying they are in public, but we're going to keep saying that anyway. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I don't think it surprises anyone. <laughs> I'm going to be really partisan here, but frankly, yeah, again, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, one only has to look at the membership of the NUS and see whether, you know, and perhaps wonders, perhaps you can question whether their, their, their motivations are really for students or whether they've got other motivations as well. And frankly, it doesn't surprise me that they're incredibly after the Lib Dems. And, you know, I, I mean, it'd be good if this came out and we could see what they what they really think. And, while I'm not in favour, while I'm, I'm, I'm upset with the way the tuition fee policy was handled, I'm not entirely against it. And I think that it's, I think, I think that, I think that it's important that, I think it's important that, I think it's important that, that we have an honest and open debate in the student population rather than just this seeming the NUS policy of all students are against tuition fees, let's just campaign against it. I think we need to have an honest debate about where students lie because I know, I know students, we might be minority, but there are students out there who think that paying higher fees does bring advantages, but I'm, I am still deeply disappointed the way the whole thing was handled. Andrew? Personally, I'm massively against the rise to fees. I, I'm also against the SNP's rise to fees for English students coming to Scotland. I think fees are not the way to fund education fundamentally. I think in terms of Aaron Porter, yeah, he had to go. It's not surprising. I mean, in some ways, he's not even stepping down. He's just not running for re-election. This isn't as big news as people are making it sound. It's just that it's very rare for someone to not run for re-election. As well, when you say we're not going to get another moderate, I think from what I've been hearing from people who are involved in NUS, the most likely replacement is Liam Burns, who's been president of NUS Scotland, and I think is definitely a moderate. He's worked with all parties in Scotland, and 
hopefully would do the same. In I have to say, I have to say actually, I, I don't think Liam is the favourite. I think okay. that I think I don't think there is actually a favourite in the the race. Obviously, we'll come into that okay. now. I think that uh, it is a race between Liam Burns and Shane Chowen. Uh, yeah. Shane Chowen being the current vice president of further education in NUS, um, who's very well respected as well. But I think he is more labour right than than Liam Burns. As Liam Burns is someone I've I've worked with in Scotland, and uh, I mean even throughout the tuition fee thing, he still managed to bring it back and work with the Lib Dems and the Scottish budget and make bursaries a negotiating issue and gets can get huge concessions from the SNP on uh, college bursaries. So he does have a a, a track record of cro- of cross party working, and I think he personally I think he would be the best candidate. I know Yusuf is endorsing him. Sorry, I don't, I don't know if anyone knew that. Saw that University of Scotland there was actually a leaked. Uh, yes, no, that came out. To be talking about leaks. <laughs> but I mean, there was a leak that says you know that University of Scotland said, well, we need to have a graduate contribution. And I think personally, what I would like to see the next leader of the NUS doing is, like you said, have a debate about it and say, well, look, this is a this is a plain fact that universities in Scotland, particularly, are very underfunded, and there's going to be huge competition coming from down south. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, obviously that came out. Yesterday as well, the University of Scotland had said that they want uh, students to pay the current English level of fees in Scotland, which is £3,290 a year. And they think... Deferred. Deferred fees, obviously. It's just the way that... that They basically want the current English system replicated in in Scotland. I'd agree with with the point just made before. I mean, I think that... What also gets me about I mean The Coalition are agreeing in the corner, people. This is about this is also <laughs> about, this is also about the NUS as well. I mean what gets me is that for years the NUS policy was no fees at all. Wes Streeton turns up, says, Oh actually you might change it to be funnily enough to match the current government's policy and then walks into a safe Labour council seat in London. I mean you can read into that what you want. But I think that <laughs> I think that it's you know it's important that the, the NUS need to get back to engaging students. I think there's a lot of students. I, d- I don't know if this is true on other campuses, but I get the impression in Edinburgh there is a significant number of students who, and this is probably a problem with student politics because there's also a significant number of students who probably question what the hell you used to do for them. Um, not I'm not questioning what I you used to do. I could tell you. <laughs> I, I get the impression that there's a lot of students who think what does used to do. But yeah. that's a debate for another time. And I think the NUS needs to get back and engage. And frankly, I think it's time we had direct elections for NUS president. See, the issue... I, I think you're absolutely... I would absolutely agree with you on that. I think the, the delegate democracy in the NUS does not work. But if we have direct elections, what you're going to have is the highest funded candidates will win because you can't put a budget on travelling around the country, postering camps... You know, there's no way of doing that. And actually, well, you the can't actually make them submit receipts. You can if you, if you make them submit receipts for everything. Yeah, re- how, how big a budget are we going to give them? How much are we going to, you know, it's... Not, I wouldn't give them any of my money. Mm. I, I, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing the about as well. I can't believe that they're actually giving money. That I, I mean, I just think it's, they, should fund, they should fundraise. Well, USA actually benefits from being in NUS. We pay our membership fee, but we actually, from savings by being in Nussel, it's where we actually save the money back. We actually get a really good deal. At the I, moment, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't, it's, I, there's conflicting reports about that. I mean, depending the, on which side of the NUS... The figure that NUS sent... USA, to my understanding, was around about £200,000. Uh, yeah, 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 I know, and that's what I'm saying. But Sam Hansford, the Vice President of Services, is currently actually investigating that thoroughly, and he expects that the figures actually come out as around about £100,000. That is a lot of money, and a lot of money that your student association needs. But, but okay, regardless of whether we save money or not by being in the NUS, which is an, an, a, a, perhaps another debate for another time, what, yeah. I'm, what I think, though, is out of this £50,000 or whatever it is we pay as yes, we member the NUS, why can't 
we pay £51,000 a year and use that £1,000 to fund the NUS candidates coming for a debate at TV. I mean... That's a debate we're going to have to have at another time, I'm afraid, as Alex said. But uh, we are running out of time. We've got one more story we want to cover. Uh, I'm going to go back to last week's Band of the Week for our, our second last song of the day. And uh, a different, a different again style of song from the song we heard from The Glitch last week. We're going to listen to Children of the Stars. And, uh, you know, you can let me know what you think of this on uh, studio at freshair.org.uk. But I won't be able to read it because the computer next to me is broken. <laughs> this is Children of the Stars <laughs> by The Glitch. Children of the Stars by The Glitch. Um, that was a lovely song, but nobody was listening. So uh, it's all good. It's I like the song, and I'm sure these guys would have too. Um, so I've decided, uh, on a whim, really, because I'm like that, we're going to talk a little bit about the use of elections. Um, now, of course, we've got two candidates in the room and two people who just hate use of all it stands for. So that's, that's a bit... That's I don't I mean. hate use of all it stands for. I... I'm sorry, I'm you cannot be associated a lot with the editor of The Student and not hate you, sir. <laughs> well, one of the editors of The Student, I think, I don't know, I get the impression he quite likes you, sir. That's because he's <laughs> Labour. But anyway, um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the, I mean, it is nearly 11 o'clock, but the guy to do the 11 o'clock show hasn't turned up for the third week in a row, so I think we're just going to stay. Um, this is an occupation. <laughs> we have we have now occupied the fresh air studio until someone comes and asks us nicely. Our demands are that we discuss the NUS and user elections. We're not going to talk about the NUS no, elections. Don't NUS. Um, so let's talk about the presidential race. There are seven candidates, which has to be some sort of record, Andrew. Uh, I I'm, I I may be in use for a little while, but I don't know all of the stats. I am not. Your you stats really person. should. You yeah, should know all the stats. I'll, I'll go but say. Obviously, we'll get, uh, in, in true sort of BBC style, here is the full list of candidates. <laughs> we have Matt McPherson, James McCash, Gavin Hume, this is where I'm trying to remember them all. Uh, He's Ian, doing this off the top of his head, which is Ian impressive. Berger, Tom Cruther, Ben Truman, and Imola Varga. I got all seven. That's quite impressive. Now, Ben Truman is an anarchist candidate. Is it, don't vote, but if you do vote, vote for Ben Truman, which is the most hilarious anarchist I've ever Probably heard. Probably not going to be successful. Don't vote, campaign. but if you have to vote, vote for me. Well, the most amusing think, thing I find about anarchists on campus is that because they're use of racial society, use of rules demand that they elect a president, a treasurer, and a secretary, and I would love to be them when they elect their president. On I think it'd be student hilarious. council approves every society that's created, and when the anarchist society came through council, it was me who put up my hand and said, have they agreed to abide by all the rules for societies? And apparently they have, so it's I mean, good. What I find odd is that I believe that the anarchists actually support free tuition, but surely that goes against them, like the sort of coercive taking of other people's money for other people. They're also pro AV, we discovered See, at the refreshers fair, which is rather interesting. But. The thing I think though is that all these can- we have seven candidates, and that's actually a fantastic thing. That actually is there are though? seven people. Yes, there are seven because people it, from different aren't... perspectives. No, 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 no. There are not there... seven people from different perspectives. Oh, there are. There are four people who want to be president of USA. Really, Tom Cruth. Yes. Tom Cruther maybe a little bit. No, Tom Cruther is running a serious campaign this year. I've had a chat. You say he's him. running yeah, a serious yeah, campaign, is. but you've, you haven't seen, well, you've seen his publicity. Bit. It's not a serious campaign. I think no. I think he is. I think I do. I, I think he is running a serious campaign, but he's running it in the style that Tom Cruther knows, and yeah. that is he has jokey. But he's not. You know, yeah. Gavin Hume is running as Mister T. That is a joke. Yeah, he has yeah. serious policies, Tom Cruther, this year, which I think is really good to see. And obviously, there's Ben Cruther and. Uh, Ben and Gavin, Gavin, Mr. T, Ben Cruther, Ben Truman, and, yeah. Ga- and Gavin, Mr. T, Hume, mm-hmm. who, who aren't running to be president of USA. They're running as a joke candidate. So, okay, you've got maybe four and a half. 
Okay, but even I, then, I, I think what actually the, hell? the a dog toy. In <laughs> what is going on? It's descending. It's now past eleven o'clock. We have descended <laughs> into anarchy. <laughs> So, you've got four and a half candidates who are standing for you, so th- and there's only one woman, which is a little bit concerning. It's uh, a step backwards from from the last few years. I mean, obviously, we had Liz Rollings and Laura Jane Baker last year. We've and at the moment, we have three sabbaticals who are female. I know, that's a yeah. great achievement for you. So. But, uh, can, I be, can I be really, really uh, awkward here and say that, personally, I don't think it matters what sex or race or colour you are. If you, the best person should win, uh, this, and this well, applies to every win, elected but office. Should, but we should have the best a, we person should, have should win a certain amount of equality in candidates. Not if not if they're not the best candidates. Yeah, the point of democracy, I think, the point of democracy is that people put themselves forward. And if you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't agree. If we have a culture which you know, politics, even shouldn't politics, is quite male dominated, um, for the very reason that you know, men are just seem to want to get their point across and then they don't like don't listen to a lot of what time with the debates I don't listen to women when they speak and stuff like that but I think you, the point of a democracy and I think if we ins- to, to ensure democracy is that we let people go forward and we don't put any barriers yeah. towards that I, I would totally agree with that but I think that the job that USA has is to try and encourage to make sure that everybody feels that if they want to run for president yeah. they can well, and I'm really hopeful you know, that these are the only seven people on campus that. that want it yeah I don't think we do it well enough we do do it we do work really hard to try and make sure that we are like we've just introduced in the last few years we introduced action groups where we have a convener for the five areas that NUS has uh, liberation campaigns for um, we're bas- we are trying to engage more and more with communities who previously were disengaged I think actually at the moment the community that we completely fail to engage with is right-wing students. I think there's actually a lot of them out there, but we don't really talk about it because we don't really agree with them, so we don't try yeah, and I mean, encourage I mean, them to that, come that's, in. That, I think that I see that was probably one of the bigger... But it's not so much right-wing students, it's just students who, you know, who are there and, and don't have a huge interest in sort of... Left-wing left politics. politics. Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah. I think the danger of use... I mean, I don't, I'm not claiming use as a you know, wholly left-wing group... Um, <laughs> Andrew Walker but, Smith ensures it definitely yeah, isn't. Yeah, Andrew's brilliant. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. he's really good. He at it. I think fantastic. I, I really admire what he does. If I had the time, I could probably do it as well. But I think, you know, it's the whole. If I were, for example, if I went and stood for Eustace, say, yeah, I'm going to be Eustace president, I would, I would be vilified. I'd be crucified. I mean, and that's that puts that personally puts me off a lot. See, I think negative campaign though in Eustace elections does not work. We've seen it before from candidates. If you try and slate the other candidates, I. Didn't see it from her personally, I have to say. To an um, yeah, fair enough. But a negative campaign doesn't work. Actually, if people start slating you, vilifying you, it's not going to work. There's already been on Usalicious the really sad hack blog that there is out there. Look it up, guys. That we all read. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and we all comment under three aliases. <laughs> But yeah, like already, the minute Callum said that he was standing, I was mentioning he's delicious, someone put up that he was a big Lib Dem hack, he better hope that doesn't get out or he'll be in trouble. Well, it's- to which my response was, if you Google my name plus Lib Dem, it is not exactly a secret. But yeah. I mean, that's not what it's about at the end of the day. I, I but mean, I, I, I want to get away from sort of talking about the actual sort of election process. I want to talk about the, the candidates themselves. I mean, the presidential race does seem to be... A battle between Matt McPherson and James McCash. That's generally acknowledged mm. that those are the two. Are we, are we saying they're the two front runners? The two, only the two that can win. We're saying that the front, they're the front runners. We're say, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, uh, I, I wouldn't count out Imola, for example. No, I think you got. I mean, we haven't got, seen her campaign yet, but so. she has. She has got, unlike Matt McPherson and James and James McCash, she has got. I mean, a core 
not a core vote, but I'm trying to say she's got like a, a sort she of. She can get the Pollock vote. Yeah, exactly. She's got like, I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, as, as if you run another campaign, she's got like the area of the con- use at constituency, People- in inverted commas, which is like her, I think is her vote. And I think she will do well in Pollock. And she's got. And she, you know that she could gain momentum from Pollock, and you have to. And she's been there for four years. Well. A lot of people will know who she is. But I, I mean, think, given that it's a preferential voting system as well, obviously, if Imola can win enough first preferences from Pollock and get enough second preferences, you know, it could be a very close race. But yeah. it is, it is generally acknowledged that Matt McPherson and James McCash are the front runners. Yeah, I mean, in elections, from my experience, it doesn't actually come down to having a constituency. If you look at last year, Laura Jane Baker had done an amazing job as Freshers' Week coordinator. She'd been society's convener. She had put herself out there as much as she possibly could, talked to as many people, worked really hard, and actually, it didn't work for her in the yeah, end. I'm about to rethink my campaign strategy. <laughs> but Liz Rawlins also had the yeah. advantage of having run the year before, so you know she wasn't yeah. an unknown. She did pop up as, and everyone was like, unless you were a first year, yeah. everyone else was like, oh yeah, Liz Rawlins. So she didn't, she, not like she had a second bite of the cherry, but she'd almost mm. um, she'd almost run a double campaign because she'd run the year before. So presumably people who mm. might have voted for her the year before probably still voted for her. People that voted for Thomas Graham the year before voted for her second probably thought, well, if I don't like Sarah Jane Baker, I'll go for Liz. So Laura I think Jane she had Baker. advantage. Yeah. Sorry, Laura Jane. Yeah. Sarah Jane. But Sorry. Still, I, I just think actually saying people have constituencies, actually the thing that decides elections is the election statement. Because most students actually don't, that do go on and vote. They find the page on my ad and they go, oh yeah, I'll go vote. They click through the positions until they get a bit bored, which is normally somewhere above comm, somewhere below executive of the student council, because it's always in that order. Damn, and so I might get quite a lot of people actually voting my election. That's, <laughs> that's, that goes against my strategy. Around about 2,000-ish, I think, for convener positions. Yeah. And probably actually this year I expect there'd be a really good turnout because we've actually, Damn. we're engaging more with a side of students that we haven't before, the anti-cut slate that there is actually are trying to represent students that, again, we maybe haven't represented so well. Do we so, like slates, though? I, I personally don't think it's a, it's a nice idea to have It aids identification if you don't want to vote for them. That's true. I don't like slates. I think it's... I, I, I agree with someone else who said it was intimidating to other candidates yeah. to have this massive block of candidates. And, you know, they can say they're not the anti-cuts movement all they like, but they mm-hmm. use the same damn logo, so they are. And yeah. I, I have no problem saying this on Fresh Air because James McCash is his own radio show. So <laughs> I, I think, I mean, just I mean, the only candidates who I've, I've heard from are James and Matt. I mean, they both they both came into my lecture and sort of you know said stuff. But you know, and you've what, met me. Uh, yeah, well, and me. Vote Callum. Thank you. The thing about the presidential race, I always find. I mean, I found this last year. I always find the caliber and the quality of the candidates. This is not about the candidates now. I mean, I often find that it's it's not what I would expect it to be because these people come in and say you know I've done this with you sir I've done you know I'm going to do this I'm going to do that you know I'm going to make student life cheaper I felt like put my hand up and said well can you tell me just precisely and exactly how you will do that and they just can't do it that's so, what worries me as well because I've seen that for, I, from both McCash and, Mac, and McPherson that they have made a lot of grand promises like make Matt, student living cheaper I mean what does that even mean the best one I saw and this is not a dig at Matt McPherson but it's just an example of I think an unrealistic policy was he promises to have a party at Pollock for the end of your degree and I read that and thought what fourth year wants to go back to Pollock and have a party <laughs> for the end of the degree just I just I just read that and thought what I, I, I wasn't I didn't think it was I was just disappointed that I think it's just a really bad policy and I just think it shows that sometimes and this isn't a dig at Matt McPherson this is a dig at everyone who runs for you sir at the end of the day most of the people who run for you sir that there needs to be a concentration on policies 
that aid yeah. students in Edinburgh. None of this, like, I'm going to fight government cuts. I mean, what? Okay, then, you're going to fight government cuts, but you're not going to ring up David Cameron and tell him off, and he's going to go, oh, actually, yes, we're going to reinstate, you know, I mean, realistic policies, I think, are very important. And I think sometimes, not all candidates, but a lot of candidates sometimes forget this. To be fair, if you if you have a look at James McCash's ele- McCash election statement, he does go into detail on how he would make student living cheaper, whether you agree with, whether you think the policies are achievable or you agree with them or not. He does have detailed ideas for making student living cheaper. I mean, Matt McPherson has put his policies up across campus now on posters. They include uh, an Edinburgh living wage of £7.15. I mean, I don't that, that's, I mean, how can you... I mean, that's the whole thing. How can you go out and flaunt a policy like that? Say, you know, the Edinburgh... I mean, There's you, a I, difference I, I'm, between I'm, I'm, saying you're going to achieve it and saying you're going to fight for it. I think that's a massive difference. Yeah, but, I, but that's, it's that's wording. I mean, you can say you're going to fight for it, but tell me exactly how it's going to happen. I mean, I know that isn't you still running a huge budget deficit. Uh, I think they had a budget deficit last year. I, six figures. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's six. I mean, that is totally ridiculous. And as a student who's never usually engaged with that, that disgusts but, me that those people at the top went and did that. But you're and a even Tory. <laughs> obviously, I mean, every, but everyone hates everyone hates a budget deficit. No one can. Lo- Apart from Labour. Well, from that's Labor. the problem. But no one can go and say. I mean, are you the fact that they run that is just so out of See, but USA has a lot of money in reserve. It has reserves of cash, which is where that. It's not that we've well, lost that money. We've I, had to take it from well, students. The, de- the deficit. It's to be fair to to USA, because I've mm-hmm. you know I asked this question at the AGM when the budget came up, yeah. and they said they showed the five figure profit from last year and the six figure deficit from this year. I went, uh, excuse me, <laughs> but there was a huge amount of staff restructuring. There yeah. was a huge amount of of improvement work done to university buildings, and that deficit was not unexpected. It yeah. wasn't. It, it was an expected deficit, and they're not planning. When they, I mean, they are planning to increase the deficit slightly yeah, with I the mean, budget for ridiculous. next year, but not to a huge, ex- not to a huge but amount. A student association shouldn't be there to make masses of profit. No, no, I'm not it, saying, should be, should, it should be there to avoid yeah. a huge deficit. But that's, actually, just, we've made lots of profit in years previously. That's how we have these reserves. Profit and deficit. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> breaking even is the target, but you don't break even year on year necessarily. You break even in the long term. That's the important thing. That's what keeps you in business and keeps you doing the right things. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm tempted to agree with Andrew that I think that, yes, we have run a huge deficit, and yes, savings do need to be made, and I think that candidates do need to... Uh, to acknowledge that. I, actually, it was quite interesting. I was speaking to James McCash and he was saying that uh, he's anti-government cuts, but he's actually pro-USA cuts, which is quite interesting. He is anti and pro-cuts at the same time. But uh, we'll, move on, we'll move on from the presidential race now. Let's talk about uh, some of the other sabbatical cuts. What should we do? Let's talk about the... Not VPAA, acad- Callum, surely. <laughs> Let's talk about Vice President Academic Affairs. I, should I declare an interest in this at this point? How does this work on radio? Well, it? given that Andrew Burney is going to win... Um, I I don't believe that for a second. Andrew Burney is running a race against two good candidates. So you don't think you're going to win? I hope I'm going to win. I don't <laughs> think Andrew, I've got Andrew, it in the bag at this you're point. You're the only one up there, so I'll probably vote for you. Oh, thanks. Well, that's <laughs> three votes in this room sorted. One of, one of, one of your that's helpers came to my door last night. Four oh, votes, four votes. Four. I assume you'll be voting for yourself. Well, I kind of had my vote already before I came into the room. I kind of, you know... You door knock for a few hours, you get a few votes. This is an hour and a half, maybe, by the time we finish. But it's quite inefficient. Door yeah, yeah. Door this door is door. the worst profiling I have ever done. Okay. <laughs> well, you are standing. You are standing against uh, Mike Williamson. Yes. Uh, from the Defend Edinburgh Slate. Yep. I watched this video yesterday. He wants mm-hmm. to digitise the entire high use section of the library. See. Um, I- and they're going to do this. And if you if if you question the Defend Edinburgh Slate on how they're going to pay for anything. I've noticed this. They say, 
we're going to cut chief, the chief exec, the top uh, top level pay. Yeah, they're going to cut the pay of all the of the chief executive. The problem with the this that particular issue isn't even pay. It's publishers. Publishers do not want to let their books be digitised, especially the really expensive ones like the medical textbooks that cost £100 that all first years are basically told, just get it. You've got no choice. You need this book. I paid f- I paid £40 this, ter- mm-hmm. this semester yeah. for the Democracy and Comparative Perspective yeah. book, which is... Mm-hmm. I, I, this is yeah. Damn it, Callum. you just asked us? We've all given yeah. you about five Damn copies. Damn it! Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that you said. to do. I, it looks rubbish on radio, but it's about that thick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's about a centimetre thick and that's yes. not even an exaggeration and what's what's noticeable about while we're talking about this is this is an example of a textbook written by the course i mean you yeah. know who yeah. whose interests are we really whose yeah. pockets are we lining yeah. I, and, and andrew I, I thought it was i obviously not to blow your trumpet too much but i thought it was very it was very interesting you were you're one of the few candidates talking about hidden course costs and that, that that is an issue that many people don't think about. Many people just sort of accept it when they come to university that there are those hidden course costs. Yeah, it's stuff like in some schools, like for example in languages, you have to print language dossiers for you to show. You have no choice. But the university has policy that all required course materials should be provided. That's the sort of thing where actually they're breaking their own policy. USA needs to get on top of it and start enforcing that. We need to actually be getting out, talking to students, finding out where this sort of but thing's there are, happening. There are the, the argument of the universities that if it's all available online, then they've fulfilled their obligation because, this, I mean, the social policy and department offer... Uh, the, all the readings are online, but then they sell you them printed off for a fiver. See, this is the difference. That is debatable, I accept. I disagree. I still think that those readings should be provided for free. But in modern languages, they actually tell you to print the dossiers. Okay, yeah. You know, that is beyond ridiculous. Things like reading lists. Why do they go up at the last minute? And why are some books listed as essential when actually you don't touch them for the entire semester and you do just fine in the exam? Tell, us about, tell us about Tian Yunyi. Uh, is that his name, I think? Uh, he's, he goes by Leaf. I think he's on the ballot as Tian Yunyi. I, I discovered last night when I was putting up some posters that actually Ye in Chinese means Leaf, apparently, which is why I use that name. But, he's, okay. I mean, he's not a candidate I've ever heard of, but... Mm. Apparently I've met him a couple of times. But apparently he's also... I didn't realise he's a... I assumed he was just an outsider running, you know. But I didn't realise he's actually in USA. So, I mean, what's... See, there's a difference between... I don't know what you're defining as in USA. Not in here. USA. He has been elected to USA positions yeah, before. Yeah, he has yeah. Also, he does also have a huge amount of experience working with NGOs in China. Is it, yeah, I, yeah. He is actually a really experienced... Actually, yeah. I think a really good quality candidate. Yeah, you? yeah, definitely. But, I mean, obviously you do have an inherent advantage. That you have been academic services convener for two years. You are yeah. a, an Uber hack, I think <laughs> you were described as on Uselicious. Yeah, I, it does help to be able to say, I've already achieved this, 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 this. You know, to be able to say that sort of thing, like podcasting in 10 lecture theatres, the technology's there, I'm now pressuring schools to get them to take it up. Fair that right. is entirely achievable. It doesn't really cost I didn't even know that more. existed until I watched yeah. your video. And I have my lectures in all of the le- all of my lectures yeah. in the lecture theatres you mentioned. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to play another song and then we're going to come back and talk about the VPS and VPSA elections because I know you just love your elections. This is next. We're, we are still in occupation in the Fresh Air studio. This is Snow Patrol with Take Back the City and you're not going to take back the studio <laughs> snow patrol with take back the city there now it does seem that the 11 o'clock show does exist and um, they are here ready to go yeah. for your for your enjoyment 
So, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to cut short our discussion on the use of elections, but luckily we managed to get in the academic affairs job when we had Andrew Burney here. Uh, so, we'll possibly talk about it next week, but next week we will have uh, Labour MSP John Park. Uh, so, I'm not sure if use of elections are on his radar at the moment, but I'll maybe <laughs> give him a little briefer before we come on air. So, uh, thank you very much to Alex. Thanks, Callum. Thank you to Andrew. Thank you. And thank you to James. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with John Park, MSP, and back with Alex Lukic from the first show. So, uh, yeah, tune in next Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Make sure you tune in at 4 o'clock today for the commentary box. Um, There'll be a big surprise in store on the commentary box this week. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing it, to joining you then. Goodbye.